coming up this week off screen. Dwayne Johnson shows Kevin Hart some central intelligence. Elizabeth Moss is the Queen of Earth. Emma Watson visits the colony. And we read notes on blindness. All this to come and more off screen. This is this is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. So I think we should start this week with, uh, with something that uh, it's, it's been on a few people's minds lately. This was uh, last week. You know, mm. it was it was. I mean, it's a time of great turmoil, and I feel it's time we address the uh, the elephant in the room, the thing that everyone's talking about, the only story dominating the news cycle, which is, of course. <laughs> That is your new Ghostbusters theme. I think we should have held some kind of vote. We should have asked people what they what they would prefer. I think that as well. I feel like yeah. we weren't given a say in the matter, and I think that well, we, if... we never are about no, anything. I don't, really, I don't, I don't but, think um, it was done properly. And this, this is quite a big issue. I think it is yeah. important. I mean, also important, of course, is. Your new Star Trek theme, that, ladies and gentlemen. That is obviously a Star Trek theme. Yeah, isn't I it? hear it. Sounds, it, I sounds hear just it, like Star I, Trek. I think Star Trek, and uh, yeah, wow. Okay, so you've got your new Ghostbusters theme by Fallout Boy and Missy Elliott, which is—is is it called "Not Afraid"? Is it? I'm not. I think afraid. so. Yeah, or just not afraid. <laughs> I think they're just not afraid of the fan backlash, as well. <laughs> which is an admirable position to take, to be honest. Yeah. And then, of course, you've got Sledgehammer by Rihanna, which is the Star Trek Beyond theme, and yeah. So uh, those are your theme songs for That's your the world that we for, live in for, now. For the summer, yeah. This is yeah. this is the uh, the changed world we ended last week in. And uh, is anyone else gobsmacked? I, I really I never saw this. If only was some kind of like political news to take our mind off of all this all this film news. I do have Anton Yelchin news though. Oh right. yeah, he's an interesting so. one. Okay, yeah. so so it turns out this this is due to we we've got this courtesy of a pair of producers known as uh, Keith uh, Kiavel and mm. Gary Schultz. They've revealed they were working with Anton Yelchin prior to his death. He yeah. was about to start work on what would have been his directorial debut. Mm. And yeah. have you heard about this? It was going to be like a dystopian this, yeah. thriller called Travis, like a neo-noir yes. thriller. Yeah. And Alia Shawcat was going to star in it for yeah, him. Yeah, he had some, and... some of his other co-stars from Green Room, which is one of his last films now, sadly. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they all signed up to, to be a part of it. It's I will say, we're gonna if you've, when, you, when you've had a, a career as, as punctuated yet surprisingly efficient as Anton Yelchin, if your final two films are Green Room and Star Trek Beyond, that's that's not a bad pair to go out on. It's I mean, pretty good, yeah. I, I we don't know what else is in the, is in the pipeline. I think but... he has got one or two other things... Um, that were in the can. Um, he'd just been cast in the lead of a Stephen King miniseries. Of course, as well. he had. I forget what it was called, but it sounded pretty promising. Uh, so we start with our, our first review of the week, then. 
Yes, why not? So let's let's talk somewhat about central intelligence, which you can't have missed the advertising for this because apparently <laughs> saving the world takes a little heart and a big Johnson, says the poster. That is the best tagline. It, it is, isn't it? Uh, so what you've got: Kevin Hart, Dwayne Johnson teaming up. It's a spy action thriller, as it were. So this is the story of uh, Calvin Joyner, who's played by uh, Kevin Hart, who's you know diminutive pint-sized man that he is with a squeaky voice. Yeah, because that's his, that, his whole that's shtick. His whole shtick. Yeah. And uh, he was the popular kid in high school. He has grown into his uh, mid-thirties. He's, he's coming up to a 20-year anniversary, a 20-year uh, high school reunion. And he's dissatisfied with his life. He's in a dead-end job. He, he uh, He's feeling unfulfilled, generally. He was voted the one most likely to succeed in school, and it isn't shaping up that way. And then one day, he gets a Facebook friend request from Bob Stone, which is not a name with whom he's, with whom he's familiar. And it turns out Bob Stone is, in fact, Robert Weirdick. Uh, now, try saying that slower, and it sounds awful. Yeah. Uh, Robert Weirdick, who um, is played by Dwayne Johnson, who was a fat kid in high school, the bullied one. Only Calvin uh, took the time to, you know, to, see, you know, bef- even attempt to befriend him. Mm. They weren't really friends, though. And he comes back into Calvin's life, looking like The Rock. As Calvin puts it at one point, you look at you look like Hercules. Hey, badumtish. Um, but That's for joke. It is. Yeah. Hot on Bob's heels, however, come the CIA, who claim that Bob is in fact a CIA analyst, a CIA agent, sorry, um, who's gone mental, invented a supervillain, killed his own partner, and stolen a list of top-secret nuclear satellite codes. Meanwhile, Bob has a story of his own, namely that he's following the money trail of the real villain, and he needs Calvin's accounting skills to help him locate the you get where this is going here's a clip listen to me listen stop stop i need to know what is happening right now okay okay you know what moving too fast bottom line are you in or are you out what are you talking in or out of what Mm-mm, no time for questions just action in or out okay well then i'm out i'm sorry jet actually you're already in okay, then why would you ask me because I thought you would go, I'm in, Bob. And we would have had a really cool moment, but uh, you kind of ruined the whole thing. I've... Okay, 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 listen listen to me right now. Bob, I don't, I don't know what it is that you're into, but what I do know is that I am really, really a hundred percent out. How do you think that's going to play out for him? hundred percent out. I don't think it's going to end too well. I think some hijinks are going to ensue, and <laughs> hijinks are, are most definitely the yeah. name of the game. Do you remember there was some news recently that Dwayne Johnson and Kevin Hart were going to team up for the remake of Jumanji? Uh, yes, and, I believe and that's still on the cards. That is still on the cards, and yeah. literally everybody who knew Jumanji <clears throat> just raised their eyebrows in complete disbelief because it made no sense whatsoever. And then you watch Central Intelligence, and all of a sudden it makes complete and resounding sense, because this is one of the most unlikely and yet brilliant comic duos you've seen in a major tentpole picture for some time. These two bounce off of each other brilliantly and a lot of the genius comes out of the basically inverting ride-along. Because mm. you have the ride-along franchise in which uh, Ice Cube is the straight man because that's what he's, he's good at. Yeah. And you have Kevin Hart who's, you know, he's, he's the Kevin funny Hart. man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what you've got now is Kevin Hart's the straight man and Dwayne Johnson is the funny one. Albeit the action one as well. So it's it's kind of it's it's a riff on the accidental spy uh, sort of the old archetype, you know, the accidental spy yeah. genre. And yet as well, there is this brilliantly insightful screenplay. By the way, do you know who one of the co-writers is on this film? Not off the top of my head, no. Ike Barinholtz. 
Oh, no way. Yes, Ike oh, Barinholtz, wow. who most of us know as having been the love interest in Sisters. He was the comic relief sidekick in uh, Neighbours and Neighbours 2, Seth, Seth Rogen's best friend. Yeah, and, he, he shows up a lot. And he does show up a lot. And, and he's, he and Marsh, uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber, who's the director here, have co-written this together. Mm. And it's very, very funny. And it sends up the, the archetypical Dwayne Johnson uh, image brilliantly. So there are things like the nods to Hercules. There are the bits where he meets Kevin Hart. And he, you know, it's like, how, how you went from fat to this? How did that? happened was it dieting what he says oh i just did one thing i exercised for six hours a day for 20, 20 years, years straight yeah. because anyone can do it and because that's the joke we've all said it at some point or other mm. you know if we all got paid the rocks amount of money we'd live in the gym yeah, too and if we all had about time and that yeah exactly money. yeah and it, it's it's a brilliantly pitched project in that it caters so perfectly to the cult of the rock. You still get the Kevin Hart thing, which is, is a very popular sort of because he's forming his own genre at this stage, and that that's still going to work for for, the, for that crowd as well. And then you've got the rock Instagram crowd because the movie literally ends with outtakes that involve them Instagramming each other. They go to an Instagram war at one stage. Mm. It's funny. It is frenzied. It is furious. It's vicious in its action scenes. I mean, they they make a deliberate point out the fact that Dwayne Johnson's character is uh, evidently well-skilled in the art of non-lethal combat. And some of the inventive ways they come about, uh, he, some of the inventive ways he takes people out, is, is hilarious in and of itself. They've also got a physical uh, a physical aspect to the character in that he has the ability, despite the fact that he's about nine feet tall and built like a train, that he can apparently disappear in the blink of an eye and then just reappear behind you. And they use this <laughs> gag constantly, and it somehow never stops being yeah. funny. You can run away from him in one room, and he's yeah. sitting on a chair waiting for you in the next. And also just the fact that you've got him against someone like Kevin Hart, who is the size of a femble. <laughs> it is. Which is hilarious in it itself. It really works. Yeah. It is funny. Rawson Marshall Thurber leaps up to the plate, handles the action stuff really well as well. There's some, frankly, whopping cameos in there that I couldn't possibly spoil for you. The Rock proves that he's got out-and-out comedic chops as well as can still carry the action stuff. You've never seen him do comedic work like this. Mm. And out of all of it, you get this great comedic double act that you just didn't expect. And I was blown away by it. I laughed far more than I thought I would. Um, I loved it. I genuinely had a great time watching it. Uh, speaking of which, by the way, I know it's not the case this week because we've only got like four films to cover this week. But ordinarily, it's a pretty slim week. Isn't pretty it? slim week yeah. because Abfab wasn't being pressed on, and oh. and from afar didn't arrive with subtitles. Rats. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're not going to get to do any reviews in the podcast no. extras this week. So it's going to be all film news. But you know, of course, podcast extras are there if you want. We'll probably just ramble a bit. We'll just well. ramble. We'll have a good time. Ramble. We've got yeah. a pretty good moment of cage this week. I mean, so we always do. We do. So if you listen to this on radio, you want to hear the extra bits that we don't get to fit in for time reasons. Go along to onscreen film. Dot com, uh, go in the off-screen section, or go on iTunes, go on Acast, uh, go on uh, TuneIn. The podcast is on there, and loads of extra film goodies to tide you over. And that nicely takes us to the bridge. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. A bit of John Williams with a the guitar there. Do you think John Williams can play the electric guitar? I think he can play the microwave. I think he can play anything, play anything he that wants. he sets his mind to. <laughs> if I could remember the fictitious instrument they mentioned on this week's American Dad, I would have dropped that in there as well. <laughs> uh, should we uh, Should we do the box of top 10 for the week? Get, Why get, the heck get... not? Number 10. The Boss. The Boss. I liked it. I think you liked it as well. Um... Well... I, I could have done worse. You could have done worse. Yeah. He liked it for the most part. I thought Melissa McCarthy it was, was just, very it funny. It was something right? okay to watch on an afternoon when I was having my tea and my biscuits. <laughs> Fair enough. That was it. Fair yeah. enough. Um, I think there's a lot There's a lot of fun to be had in it, but for me, the most fun uh, comes from really the character-based stuff and less the zany, wackier comic antics. Number nine. 
Well, the Jungle Book's back. Yeah, it's, it's back. It, it disappeared. It's like they knew that we were going to sing uh, Bare Necessities on the 10th week. It disappeared for week 10. It's yeah. back for week 11. So it doesn't count. doesn't count. doesn't count. We don't have to Loop sing hole. it. Uh, and don't you just love it? Don't you love the Jungle Book? I I'm do. I'm a huge yeah. fan of it. I think it's a beautiful, I, beautiful I want it film. to stop being on the top 10, so it'll just come to Blu-ray already. Yeah, I do yeah. as well. I want it. DVD, Blu-ray. I, I need that in my life right now. And uh, given that the next few weeks are all going to be about uh, Batman Superman Ultimate Edition, I think uh, it would be nice to have it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Number eight. Every time. X-Men. X-Men. X-Men second class. Yes. Uh, which, you know, I, I, this is the problem. I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't dislike it. No. I kind of just sat through it and thought, eh, it's there. Some stuff yeah. happened. There's, There's another quicksilver scene. It's not as good. Uh, yeah, the song doesn't yeah. work quite as effectively this time, but it takes place in a relevant time period. You know. Yeah. I think the worst part of it is Oscar Isaac is... Very wasted, wasted as yeah. as uh, well. He's not very wasted. He's just wasted. The, the as, material uh, just isn't enough for him. Isn't there? And it feels like there is a sense of I think franchise fatigue with it, and I feel like that shows throughout. Have you drop your paper. <laughs> it's okay. I've picked it up. <laughs> Number seven. I don't even need to say what it is. It's Do you not great. think? Because it doesn't no. specifically say the title, I suppose. Yeah, so it says, that, what, what else is it going to be with Turtle Power? Well, yeah, very yeah. true. Um, see, I, I like uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows. I think it is what I wish the first one had been. It does. It, it's, it's strange that the first movie didn't offer that much in the way of setup that you couldn't have done this one first. And for me, it, it does work. Um, I like Stephen Amell having a big screen vehicle. I like the characters are actually clearly defined this time around. Uh, the action seems a little bit more concentrated, a little bit more Focused and uh, is it who, who's the director on this one? Is it David Green? I want to say, uh, I think so. It's the guy that did Earth to Echo, uh, Earth to Echo yeah. who proves infinitely better than last time around with Jonathan, Jonathan Liebesman. Yeah. yeah, but no, this is a vast improvement. Number six. Alice through the looking glass. Well, this is a vast improvement over its original as well. Um, Not in terms of uh, box office. Not in terms of its box office. In terms of everything else, yeah. Uh, Johnny Depp's still still absolutely awful in it. Uh, Mia Wazikowska kind of wasted in it as effectively a a more uh, high-profile Claire Danes. And uh, then you've got all the returning characters from the first movie, plus the added Sasha Baron Cohen doing Werner Herzog bits with a little bit of the physicality of Peter Sellers. And what you get is effectively uh, Alice in Wonderland Wonderland's Bogus Journey, or Alice's Excellent Adventure Through the Looking Glass, where it's time travel in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll, a bit of time hopping. It all it works, it's entertaining enough. It's not going to blow anyone's mind or anything like that, but the question is, does it need to? Um, speaking of things that will blow your mind, by the way, this this is a bit of news that came out this week, and I did not know what to make of this. Do you, do you know about YouTube Red? Do, are you aware uh, of this? I have heard of it, but I'm not really aware of it. Uh, it's the premium YouTube service. That I don't know how long it's existed, but they're doing their first. Oh yeah, I yeah. do. I do know a little bit about this. I know about it because I watch uh, Good Mythical Morning from time to time, and the guys that do that show are now developing their own show for uh, YouTube Red, which I, I should say is it's a premium service. I figure it's kind of like Screen Junkies Plus. But, uh, well, they might be on that. Maybe soon, we don't know. Yeah. Um, so this YouTube Red are launching their first high-profile fiction series. And it's going to be a continuation of Step Up. It's, they're going to continue the Step Up franchise. Gets weirder, Chantate uh, and his beloved wife, uh, Jenna DeWantate, are uh, are going to serve as producers on it. Cool. So Step Up is coming back. It's going to be set in a dance academy this time, a prestigious dance academy. Mm. It's going to follow the lives of the dancers there. No word on whether or not it's going to be in 3D this time around. It's going to be like a Step Up 
does Glee kind of a... <laughs> I, think so. I think it is, yeah. I think so. Step up to the stream. Oh, that one works, that one works. You could put that on the advert. I think we yeah. should. Uh, let's talk about notes on blindness then. Yeah, uh, this is This is... It's a documentary, but it's not, is the best way to describe this one. Are, are you okay. aware of this concept? Um, is it a little bit like the act of, the act of killing? I, where I, it's a documentary, but they act out some of the stuff as well. It's like that, but it's all like that. Here's how it works. So you've got John Hull, who is a uh, an academic theologian, uh, in 1983. On the days before, he's always struggled with loss of sight. And days before the birth of his son in 1983, he he his sight finally starts to go whole hog. So he decides to uh, document his his life in the form of an audio diary. So he records on audio cassette his life and his experience of going blind and uh, this is we are now played these tapes here and now in in this film and they are lip-synced to actual actors playing the characters of John Hull and his wife etc. And the story becomes not so much about uh, about the act of blindness but about the the mental process of, of how you handle how you mentally handle your own blindness and also kind of the minutia of the things you can and can't do. For instance, if you're a blind man, should you still wear glasses? Is a question that that comes up and John Hull answers with, well, yes, because I'm just used to them being there. Uh, and it's, it's, it's that kind of an element. So here, here we have a clip. This is actually a trailer clip, but uh, here we go. This is cassette one, track one, notes on blindness. July the 5th, 1984. What happens to the brain when optic stimulation ceases? I am concerned to understand blindness. The pictures in the gallery of my mind have dimmed somewhat. So I could no longer remember easily what my wife looked like or what my daughter Imogen looked like. Everything was drifting away. How could this happen to me? Who had the right to deprive me of the sight of my children at Christmas time? Well, we all love a, you know, a story of triumph over adversity. It's, it's, it's human nature. We love those kind of tales. Um, and in this case, physical adversity. So with that in mind, there's a lot going on for this documentary. And I don't know whether it's a semi-fictionalised documentary or reenacted documentary, whatever you want to call it. I'm not sure how you how would you define it. I don't know. A fictionalised... Fictionalised documentary. Yeah, representation, I guess. Um, it's a fascinating idea. You can't deny that. Let's do it. Let's let's act it out. Let's lip sync it. Let's use the actual recordings. And you know, you've got a wealth of audio material. And the, the lip sync is done with varying degrees of success. Uh, for instance, John Hall's wife is strangely miscast, while John Hall himself brilliantly cast. Uh, but what you've got really is. A film that has those moments about, you know, should I wear glasses? Uh, there are, what are the facilities for blind people to consume large, large academic books? Turns out there were none, and he had to invent his own, which was simply to have people read them into cassette recorders, and then he'd listen back to the recordings later. Um, that kind of stuff is really interesting, and it's and it, it's there that the film works well. Um, it's when the film stops to succumb to its own sentimentality, may, mostly in the form of, of ponderous navel-gazing. Gazing. Really, it becomes, becomes very, very trying. It's 90 minutes long, and you find yourself coming out of it exhausted afterwards, thinking, if it were a 40-minute Storyville uh, documentary, it would, frankly, have made more sense. It, it's really mm. dry, and it's really somber, mm. and it has no particular grand ambition beyond simply telling you that John Hull existed, that he went blind, that eventually he was acknowledged by the RNIB. And even that takes place as an off-screen kind of coda, bolted-on coda kind of a moment. 
it is something that just needs to needs to have been condensed, something that did not need the full 90-minute treatment. And as such, it's more of a curio than an actual experience. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So we've got an interesting one for you now, Case. What do you, I, I think what you, you got? Asked. Right, so The Colony is out on Friday on, yes, uh, in, in, in cinemas and on demand. This week, I was fortunate enough to get the chance to speak to the writer-director of The Colony, uh, Florian Gallenberger. Uh, very interesting fellow. Uh, we had a conversation on the day of the EU referendum, no less, on Friday. This is. Uh, do, you, do you know the story behind this? Um, yeah, not really. Okay, this is set in, in 1973 Chile uh, during the... Uh, Chile. 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 Chile, Chile, Chile. Because I'm saying Chilean all week. Yeah. Uh, in 1973, Chile, uh, during the, uh, the the civil unrest, uh, during the time of General Pinochet. Mm. And uh, what you've got, you've got a German activist played by Daniel Bruhl and his, I'm not sure if she's meant to be German as well, uh, girlfriend Lena, played by Emma Watson. They are caught up in the civil unrest. <clears throat> he is abducted and detained by the secret police and incarcerated in uh, the Colonia Dignidad, which is a real thing that really existed. Uh, their story is obviously the fictional part of it, but the, this all actually existed, uh, where he, you know, he used to be tortured by the residents of Colonia Dignidad. Uh, Emma Watson decides to try and rescue him, finds that nobody is interested in helping him, and decides the only way... She's a stewardess, by the way, so we're, okay. not, talk, we're not talking about Ellen Ripley here. Uh, she decides the only way that she is going to get her, her beloved back is by infiltrating Colonia Dignidad herself, going in as a recruit into this cult-like organisation, finding Daniel for herself... And rescuing him, but of course, it's no one's ever escaped. And no sooner is she in than she kind of discovers why. Namely, it's sort of a hell on earth. We have a clip. Is Satan inside you? No. Do you renounce Satan, the beast of hell? Yes. Do you renounce the sins of the flesh? Yes. Do you renounce all lies and deceit? Yes. <laughs> Tell me the truth. Why are you? I'm here for you, Pius. I need you, that's why. Oh, now you've spoken truly. Feel the grace of the Lord coming down on you. Florian Gallenberger, thank you very much for speaking to us. The film is The Colony, formerly known as uh, Colonia. Uh, I have to ask, um, it's uh, set in 1973, Chile. What was it that drew you to this particular project? Well, actually, I heard about it for the first time when I was nine years old in school, and uh, I heard about The Colony, and I was, as a boy, I was so angry and so furious because um, I understood that people have to live there and they can't leave, and I told my mother it's so unfair. And somehow this this uh, this rage from my childhood um, came up again when I read about the colony seven or six years ago, and I realized it still exists. And I realized that nothing has happened in in all that time to to deal with that subject. And I suddenly just thought that this is a story that needs to be told, and people need to need to know about it. And you know, started to research, got involved more and more and more, and then you know, I couldn't I couldn't get out of it anymore. You obviously have co-written this as well. You're, you're credited as a co-writer on the film. And what was the research process like for it for you? I actually spent four years in research. So six years ago, I went for the first time to, to Chile, to the Colonia Dignidad, which still exists. It's called Via Baviera now, Bavarian village, and met the people and started to build up relationships, especially with a handful of the younger members of the cult. 
And I'd say it took two to three years until they really started to trust me. And then they started to tell me what they really went through and what really happened within Colonia Dignidad. And that was the breakthrough in, in the research because um, I, I was sure that I now knew um, what, to, what to tell to the audience uh, as in what was the truth about Colonia Dignidad. And those younger members, supporters of the movie, younger members of the cult, they have all left the cult by now. And some of them were with us on, on the making of the movie as like experts to tell us how things worked within the colonia, how people would dress, how people would talk, how they would stand and so forth. So um, that was that was the process we were going through. What were the inherent challenges of filming a period-specific piece? Were there any particular difficulties for you? Well, Yes, there were a lot of difficulties. I mean, the first thing, um, as I said before, teaming up with different countries is great, but for the filming process, it can be difficult because we have to shoot uh, the biggest part of the movie in Luxembourg, uh, then in Munich in, in, in Germany and in Berlin. And it's kind of a challenge to recreate South America in Luxembourg and uh, in Germany. And um, we had to split up many locations in between those countries. So that's just leaving you as a filmmaker with the task to 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 make it look like Chile in a in a completely different environment. And of course, we were short on you know on time, and we were traveling a lot and stuff. So we were facing the problems that all the filmmakers are facing. We were shooting under a lot of pressure, but at the same time, it's just such a great experience of you know a group of people coming together. And, and really fighting for the same thing. So it was a difficult shoot, but it, at the same time, it was, a, it was a great experience. How did the casting of Emma Watson, who's obviously the big poster star of this, how did the, the, the casting of Emma come about? Well, when we decided to shoot the film in English, we sat down and we made a, you could call it like a wish list, who would be like perfect for the part. And um, I always wanted, for this main character, I wanted someone who is fragile, but strong inside. And I think Emma is exactly that. She's a very fragile, beautiful, fragile woman, but she has such an inner strength and she has such a conviction. And um, I also wanted someone who has um, uh, such a such a, a bright, um, radiant energy. And because in Colonia is such a dark place, I wanted to see this bright character, shining character in, in that dark place. And so we put Emma on the top of our list and I remember how we sat there and thought, well, how likely is that that she's going to take up a, a, a rather small German film? But finally, we, we decided to go for it. And I remember very mu- very well um, how we how I got that call from her agent, who said, yes, she likes the material. She read the script and really liked the material. And I think, or I know that two aspects were really important to her. One, that in our film she is an adult woman uh, who takes a very brave choice. And that's something else that she has so far been showing in her movies, where she mostly has been a teenage girl. And the other thing is that in our film, it's it's the girl, as I said before, it's the girl who rescues the man. And uh, I think this, um, this made the character especially interesting for her. Also, if you look at her female empowerment work that she does for the United Nations. So I think the, the part was also attractive to her because it it really correlated very well with with her personality and um, Emma is someone who who prepares so thoroughly for her parts and I remember our first meeting when she was already like asking so many questions that I could feel that she 
she really got involved and she really got interested and um and uh you know working with her was was great because she's uh, uh very intelligent such a smart and smart person such a quick thinker and challenging because she's always asking the right questions so i think uh, you know i'm 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 so happy that she took up the part so it's obviously there's a, there's a romance angle to the story, particularly between uh, Daniel and Emma's characters. Uh, do you think that was important to put in there so as to as to give the audience something to hold on to, to give them something to invest in? Well, that's a that's a good question. I think the the angle we we came from was more like we wanted we wanted to um, identify with people who come from let's say our world, so a normal society, an open society, and who then enter entered this very um, horrendous world of Paul Schaeffer and, and the cult. So that's, that was the first step to, to say, okay, we choose these kind of characters as the main characters. And then um, the idea came up that, um, that he gets deducted and she goes to, to rescue him and she, she enters the cult in order to find him there. And we all like the idea of the woman, the girl being the one who, who takes the risk and, who rescues the guy instead of, as it traditionally would be, the other way around? And um, well, yeah, maybe I have a, I have a liking in 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 in, in the romantic side as well. So um, we decided that there's a love story to balance to balance the you know just the the the, the violence and the darkness of Colonia Dignidad. So what would you, as the director, as the co-writer, as the force behind the film, what would you hope the audiences take away from the colony? I'd, I'd hope they um, I'd hope they see what happens if a group of people just follows one guy and stops to think critically, stops to ask questions, and stops to to take over the responsibility for their own actions, but only follows along. And there is such a tremendous dynamic in in that process that can bring out such horrible things like the colonial dictator, and especially as a German. We have experience with leaders and the catastrophe that they can bring about. So I think if the audience would take away from the cinema that um, we have to be thinking for ourselves, we have to really make our own decisions and we have to question, constantly question our leaders, then I'd be, I'd be very happy. Do you think that's a very timely message, a very topical one for our contemporary day? I think it's, it's unfortunately a very, very timely message in, in times where um it, it you know we see people craving for strong leadership all over the place and and strong leaders um who have you know shockingly simple answers for actually very complex questions uh uh you know the the thing that that people want apparently i think it's a very important mes- message to to repeat to people that even if life feels easier with the simple answers these are no answers, and you're going to pay the price later. And um, and the whole tendency of nations not wanting to work together anymore, but wanting to separate and uh, feeling that they are best off by themselves, um, I think is a is an unfortunate and even dangerous development throughout the last years. Yeah. The Colony is in cinemas and on demand from July the 1st. Florian Gallenberger, thank you very much for speaking to us. Pleasure. Thank you.
So this film opened up uh, around the world as Colonia originally. I don't know if you that one. Um, Colonia or Colonia Dignidad in some, some regions. It seems to have had three titles. I think there is actually a fourth as well. And uh, it, it is that example of, to, to, of placing a fictionalised narrative in front of a real-life tragedy. And obviously the biggie in the room with that one is always Titanic, which you, know, you can decry Titanic as much as you like as you know, being a terrible film. Um, I don't personally, but a lot of people do. And you sit and think, well, yes, but it worked because it sold its romance and the disaster, the real-life disaster in one glorious James Cameron Helm package. And you've got something similar here, but this is going for more of a romantic thriller angle, and he's not quite James Cameron calibre. Uh, now, Florian Gallenberger is an interesting director. He won an Oscar for a short film. Was it about 2001, 2002? And uh, he's only done a handful of films since then. I think this is the first real English-language one. And as he says at one point, he was looking to make this as a German film. And it does show, because the weak link in here is Emma Watson. And she's your face on the poster star. She's the name of other title and she's going to get you know bums on seats but unfortunately she's going to put a lot of very bored bums on seats because she's very wooden in this her character has two distinct aspects which is namely that she can be quite naive she can be quite precocious but she can also be strong independent woman's you know trademark mm-hmm. and and you know that that's a conscious thing with Emma Watson in reality but even outside of that you think this just doesn't work for the te- for, for this particular text and the central plot of of you know escaping civil unrest and religious orders, etc., especially in the 1970s, puts you in the frame of mind of something like Argo. And this film even ends with an airport sequence that really just feels like an even more far-fetched version of the end of Argo. So what you come away with in the end is something that feels like Argo light. Argo light with a hint of red state in there, which is not a combination that anyone ever particularly thought they would see. Um, Being a cult-based story, though, it's obviously always going to be the villain who gets the the time to shine, and Michael Nykist is perfectly pitched for that. He's brilliant. It sounds like something he could just knock out of a park effortlessly yeah. he is the perfect Paul Schaefer who you know real guy died in 2010 and he's great in it and Daniel Bruhl rises to the challenge as well his character has an aspect where he has to pretend to be more damaged than he is and the, it really runs the risk of going into really hokey territory but he's Daniel Bruhl damn it he can do it you know ever since Rush Daniel Bruhl's been knocking it out of the park as well and he's more than up he to this to challenge he needs to get more, more leads more out and out leads in films he, he really does now I don't think that uh, the is a particularly bad film. I did enjoy it. I was gripped. I was interested. The problem is it's it's written and constructed in such a way that on top of Emma Watson's truly dreadful performance, which it just screams the work of stage school, if ever there was, um, what you've got is a story which isn't particularly well-defined that takes place over a course of nearly six months. Mm. And we are actually shown on screen a <laughs> diagram of the compound with uh, day one, day five. But there's no feeling of the passage of time. Otherwise, it all feels like it could be taking place over a weekend. This is a particularly crap weekend. And that it takes place over six months then is kind of a, a, a bit of a mind blow because you really have no sense of the passage of time. There's not really much of a sense of genuine dread or, or threat to it all, other than Michael Nyker's character. The environment mm. itself hasn't particularly embedded that within its atmosphere, and you feel like it really needs that. And then you wind up with what Chris Honeysett has referred to as a very Richard Curtis-like airport sequence at the end, and you come away from it and think, I feel like I would have enjoyed this more had it not starred Emma Watson, had it still, had it starred literally, you know, Diane Kruger would have made a perfect German equivalent for the star of this film, and I would have really preferred it to have been a genuine German production, because I feel like the need to cater to a Western audience has diminished Diminished what should have been a superb film and what now is really an above average film. (laughs) 
with the latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. Do you uh, do you fancy doing the top ten for a bit? Should we finish that? I mean, I've got nothing else to do. Number five. The Nice Guys. <laughs> the Nice Guys. This actually went up a spot, would you yes, believe? Yes, it did. Yeah, it was six last the, week. There was evidently a surge in popularity for The Nice Guys. Randomly. I was telling everyone what I know. <laughs> Is that what it was? Yeah. It's all, Every, it's everyone all I met, on you yeah. case. Um, no, I like it. I know you like it a lot more than I do. Mm. Uh, my problem with it, I think, is that Shane Black's slapstick is a little sillier than I would have liked, mm. given how biting and how uh, vicious his dialogue-driven comedy is. But I like him taking a slightly different approach to a similar kind of territory. Which is fair yeah. enough. Number four. Me Before V. <laughs> Me Before V. Did you know that there was a sequel? To the novel, me before you. Yeah, what is it called I, now? I, 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 after you, I think it's called After yeah. You. I, I noticed on the train. Um, I think she's outside just Waterloo last week. Where, 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 where does she go at the end of a? Is it Rome Italy, or Paris, France, or? Paris? Might be Paris. Might be Paris. I think it's there. just her there, and she is that it. She learns to cook or paint or something. I don't know. Oh, so it's kind of eat, pray, grieve. Eat, pray, grieve. And that's, <laughs> if that film ever gets made, that is what we call that's it. That's totally what we call it. Um, like Amelia Clark, I like Sam Clayton. I like the film very much, yeah, and I think too. it deserves a lot more adulation than it's gotten from some very angry people. Number three. The Conjuring 2, the Enfield case. <laughs> I told you, we need to get you in London, take a photo of you in front of the Welcome to Enfield <laughs> sign, and have Pointed you be, the, myself. You'll be yeah. the Enfield case. I will case. be the Enfield case, yeah. uh, No, I like the film. Um, I, I think it's a worthy sequel to The Conjuring. I think it mained, it's all about atmosphere. It's all about masterful and suspense horror making and James Wan is quite clearly the man for this job and he's proven that time and time again uh, did James Wan get his start on the Saw franchise am I thinking right he created he created start. it yeah, with yeah. with uh... oh what's his name oh, the I've... guy that you've met and we both really like I've met him and I like him as well oh he did cooties it'll come back to me it'll come back to me oh, but no man. see The Conjuring <laughs> you will enjoy the hell out of it it will frighten you it will chill you it will entertain you but it won't amuse you quite as much as the first one did Number two. Independence Day, resurgence, yeah. referendum, whatever. Speaking Let's call it that. Let's call it Independence Day referendum. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of things that won't amuse you as much as the first one did. And uh, it it's pretty bad. It's really bad, in fact. It's mm. it's a really lazy, really inept sequel that puts you in mind of something like Catwoman from two thousand four with Halle Berry, where they really just thought that a name brand would allow them to you know pedal any old smut. But it it's dreadful. It's so uninvolving, so unentertaining. There are people who've gone in after bad reviews and with diminished expectations and come out and gone. Actually, do you know what? It was perfectly fine. But I suspect. That your expectations would have to be really, really low to even get to that. Number one. And who'd have thought that this would be number one? Secret Life of Pets. Secret Life of Pets is number one. Never. Shocker. Well, yeah. I loved it. I, I thought it was a really solidly funny, really I've, enjoyable I've not seen film. It yet. I'll be seeing it soon, I think. I think you're going to love the heck out of it. I yeah. think uh, the combination of Louis C.K., Eric Stone Street, Hannibal Barres, Jenny Slate. I think all of that. Great cast, isn't it? It is a great yeah. cast. I think that's going to come back, and that's going to be something that you really, really love. Um, I, I say I, I, I liked it, even though it is just Toy Story One redone. But speaking of great voice cast, by the way, we haven't yeah, talked about yeah. uh, the Lego Ninjago movie cast. Yeah, this has kind of come out of a blue a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah. So uh, this we, is the Lego we, spin-off with ninjas. Essentially, yeah, but it's yeah. going to be like a Ninja Power Rangers. But with Lego. Okay, so and, yeah. and now it's been announced because this is coming out September next year, I think, isn't it? Yeah, 2017. 20, yeah. 2017. And it's going to have Jack, the voices of Jackie Chan 
Dave Franco, yeah. uh, Kumail Nanjiani, uh, I want to say Abby Robertson from... Or is it Richardson? Abby Richardson. Richardson. From, from Broad City. From Broad City. Yeah. Uh, this has got a heck of yeah. a cast. Uh, uh, Fred Armisen, isn't it? Yeah. Who's the other guy from... Uh, Jared from Silicon Valley. Is he Chad? Oh, yeah, Chad yeah. something? Um, he is absolutely fantastic in Silicon Valley. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. This could actually be something I think really it would be pretty good. Yeah, because I, I never really... I had it on my radar, but, but you I, you I was thinking care. about the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, more than you this. didn't care about Ninjago, which no, is fine. I mean, who, who did? But uh, speaking of Fred Armisen, mm-hmm. do you know who uh, he was once married to? No, go on. Elizabeth Moss. No way! Yeah. And she coincidentally is the star of our next review, which is that is such a good segue. What a segue! I I applaud you, sir. Thank what you, a sir. segue! Thank you. you 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 earned it. You earned it. Here, fist bump. Fist bump, you earned it. Found it. So Elizabeth Moss, of course, stars in uh, Queen of Earth, which is our final review of the week, mm. uh, which is the latest from Listen Up Philip director Alex Ross Perry. Yes. yes, yes. Uh, this is the story of two friends, Catherine Moss, uh, uh, Catherine Moss, Catherine Waterston and Elizabeth Moss, who unite. Do they, I'm not sure if it's meant to be that they go there every year or if they've just been there the year earlier. I, th- I think it's just they were there yeah. one year. They visit a back, cabin. Yeah. They visit a, a lake cabin owned by Catherine Waterston's family where they had spent uh, time the summer before as well. They return one one year later, Elizabeth Moss's uh, father, for whom she worked, um, has died. Her relationship has recently ended as well, and she's kind of at her wits' end. Yeah, it's all going a bit wrong. It's all going a little bit pear-shaped for Mossy, and uh, and now, of course, comes a, a, a much-needed getaway, which brings with it a certain sense of emotional release for Elizabeth Moss. Emotional release Catherine Morton may not quite be prepared for. Everything feels so close to me, like the good and the bad. Things aren't so bad right now, though. No. You're absolutely right, Virginia. They're worse. They're much, much worse. Well, there's nothing you can do about that now, so... You might as well... He must have really suffered, you know? My father. He was afflicted. People say that depression is sickness, but I never thought of it that way. I always just thought of it as one of his problems. Just like work or money or problems, you know? Now that he's gone, it's all I can think about. You've seen this as well. I um, watched it this morning. Right, I, I, I would refer to it as being a marvel of a character drama, but a marvel of a mumblecore character drama as well. I asked you if there was a Duplass involved because it very much has that feeling to me. Nobody has got a Swanberg. It, it's got a Swanberg, so yeah. that, kind of, that kind of makes sense. And it, it is, though, a, an absolute masterclass in the, uh, the art of building tension. And it's tension built on the back of characters who are frankly so unlikable, it beggars belief. I mean, you have, you have to the two central characters in this film are quite hostile to each other for what seems to be no reason and it just seems to be something that's been there all these years that's building up and it's more of a damning statement about the nature of how fickle yeah, people really are. it's kind really of just like implied that they have been friends for so long we just don't know anything else. And that's it, yeah. but it's built on suspense, it's built on intrigue, and mostly outright audience anxiety. And Elizabeth Moss is the absolute unbridled star of this. I mean, the whole film builds to a point where she just detonates in this display of, please yeah. give me all the awards ever. Mad Men was not a fluke. You were told <laughs> I was a star. You didn't believe me. You like me in Top of a Lake. I was President Bartlett's daughter in the West Wing. Exactly. I am yeah. not just Peggy Olsen. Please give me awards now. I want them. Uh, forget that I was in Getting to the Greek. Give me awards. Oh, I, I did up until did right now. Oh, well, yeah. I, I just... I, no, is, she, is she Jonah Hill's She's Jonah girlfriend? Hill's yeah. girlfriend, which means that we have seen her have a three-way with Jonah Hill and Russell Brand. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, that's it. The problem is this. This is very trying, though. It's a very slow burn drama. It it is well shot, but it is kind of about atmosphere and it's about the things that are unsaid. It is about the silences, and that is something that is going to test your patience yeah. over the course of about ninety five mm. minutes. I found it quite difficult to get into. That's it. You, but that you... that initial twenty twenty five minutes. It was quite hard. That is. It's a yeah. film that you can't quite. It, it's it's almost impenetrable in terms of yeah. how you gain access to this story. It's got a score that just haunting. Gets, it just gets into your mind. It is haunting, yeah. isn't it? It is. Yeah. But uh, no, I, I say Elizabeth Moss is a star. Here's your proof. The end. Um, it's not film of the week though. <laughs> I think I think we all know. You we know, know what it is. Yeah, D John's getting the D John's getting the, the, the film of the week here. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Little Heart, Big, Big Johnson, Johnson, Central Intelligence is our movie of the week. Uh, do check it out. Do see it. Uh, we're going to keep ranting for a bit after mm. the credits in a moment about film news and things because we really don't have much else to do with that time. Um, so, you know, podcast edition, check it out. Some, some rumbling. There's a Nicolas Cage bit. We do it every week. Anyway, um, so next week, some interesting what stuff. What have we got? What uh, coming up? We have a sequel I've very much been looking forward to next week. I am oh, yeah. referring, of course, to The Neon Demon. I'm kidding. No, it's not that. It's Now You See Me Too, which yeah. was... I, do you know, the second I, act I, I, I did enjoy the first one. I don't know if I'm looking forward to the second one. I feel like it's an unnecessary sequel. But Well, uh, this is the year of the unnecessary sequel. <laughs> well, yes, I think we know that now. But uh, <laughs> looking, you, looking at you, Roland Emmerich. I'm looking at you, X-Men Apocalypse. Looking at you, Huntsman. <laughs> I'm looking at you. Never mind. We can keep doing this we all day. Literally we really can. can. Well, that shows, doesn't yeah. it? I'm that looking at you, it. Mother's Day. Anyway, <laughs> technically true. Technically I guess, true. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so we've got uh, Now You See Me 2 next week, uh, which is a sequel to The Magician, sort of heist romp comedy, yeah. action comedy kind of a thing. Action comedy romp. Um, we've got The Neon Demon, which I'm going to be honest, Ooh. I'm dreading. Uh, of course you are. <laughs> Well, I am, because only God Forgives didn't exactly pound. That was the last film, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, we've got Wiener next week as well. Mm. So, uh, I believe is this actually the documentary about Anthony Wiener? I think so. Yeah. I keep getting it confused because there's going to be another film coming out called Wiener Dog. I know. So I keep I, getting I, I keep getting the two confused as well. Around, yeah. You know what it was? I got invited to a screening of Wiener Dog and turned it down because I'd already been accepted to Wiener. Oh, no. And <laughs> Wiener Dog looks good as well. <laughs> I know. I, I mixed up completely. Uh, we've got Maggie's Plan next week. Uh, we've got, more importantly as well, though, we have The Legend of Tarzan, which, how long has it been since we actually had a Tarzan movie? It's been decades, hasn't it? Well, Casper Van Dien last time in the we had 90s. A good one. Last time we had a good one. Are we counting Casper Van Dien in the 90s, then? The last Tarzan film we had was it. It was the animated one with The Callum Disney Lutz. one with the Phil Collins score? No, it was the rubbish animated one that Callum Lutz had voiced about yeah, two years that's ago. That's the one with the Phil Collins soundtrack? No, it's not. Is it not? No, it's not. The, that's, that's Disney's Tarzan. This is nothing to do with Oh, Disney. that's the other one. Yes, yeah. you are right. Was that a couple of years ago now? Yeah, a couple yeah, of years yeah, ago. And years it ago. looks like and it's it was... been animated on an iPhone. Oh, man. I, I reviewed that as well. That shows you how memorable that was. <laughs> I yeah. reviewed it and I've forgotten just, it. Just, I mean, just <clears throat> listen to Phil Collins. Yeah, listen to Phil yeah. Collins' score and, and die a little inside and you'll feel Two worlds, one, one family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original blended. Before you, Adam Sandler. <laughs> So we've got all that to come and more next week off screen. Don't forget to check out Central Intelligence mm. in the meanwhile. This has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you with word that Tyrese will be returning for Transformers, so all is well in the world. We'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com.
podcast extras, and yet yeah, you heard me. Tyrese is back for T5, yo. He, he really is. Like, why? Why, why did he would, not why have would you enough... even call it T5? I don't I know. I guess it's better than The Last Night, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Not the last film, sadly, but The Last Night. Have you heard this about uh, Michael Sheen's going to make his directorial debut? Yes, I have heard about this. Now, I, I, I'd heard that he was preparing to do something. I wasn't quite prepared for what the actual project was. Namely, one that he's going to star in, that he's written, that's based on a true story. Well, it was based on a graphic novel based on a true story, and he's the story of Gary Ridgway, the serial killer, in the, the Green River Killer, mm. in the 80s and 90s, who, I think, he was spared the death penalty in exchange for the locations of his unfound victims and had to team up with law enforcement, particularly one agent named Tom Jensen, to help find his own victims. And it's going to be called Green River or Green River Killer. And uh, this this sounds quite interesting. He was on the blacklist for a while. Yeah. But Michael Sheen, wow, who would have thought that one? I'd have thought he'd have made something sooner, I guess. But yeah, I think at least he's uh, getting out of it. I think he's just coasted by on being brilliant, to be honest. He is. I mean, he can show up for two minutes and steal the film, can't he? Well, that literally well, happened in Tron, Tron Legacy, didn't it? Oh, when he played David Bowie. <laughs> when he turned up as David Bowie. Yeah. yeah he turned up and, and owned the film. So good. That's exactly how that happened. <laughs> Libations all round. <laughs> um, here's one I quite like. So um, I've, I'm not sure about this. The, 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 a film called The Physician. Are you familiar with that one? I. I'm not. I'm not. I um, the the German filmmakers behind that, the writer and uh, director of the of that film, are going to reteam. Apparently, the position must be out soon. They're going to reteam to produce uh, to bring us a a biopic on Siegfried and Roy. Oh yes, please. Now, if that doesn't end with a sequence straight out of The Revenant, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> so let's just explain to anyone who doesn't know who Siegfried and Roy are and has never seen The Simpsons in the early nineties. Um, Siegfried and Roy were two Vegas stage magicians who actually formed the the the, the inspiration for the incredible Burt Wonderstone, mm. which was such a brilliant parody. Um, and they they were known for their almost Liberace like. That was quite an underrated film, I thought. Li- uh, under- I was going to say, uh, incredible Burt Wonderstone. That one, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I liked that. It was okay. Yeah. I did. I thought uh, the Steve Buscemi character owned that. Yeah, but, I liked uh, the Jim Carrey being David Blaine essentially. Your skin makes me cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's 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 normal for a dying leaf to be scared of the autumn wind. wind. Yeah. <laughs> I love that film so much. I love Alan Arkin in it. But um, no, Siegfried and Roy were, were kind of Liberace-looking magicians, really, weren't they? Very flamboyant. Yeah, yeah. a lot magicians. of big white suits and a Siberian white tiger. That yeah, was, and and, and, big, and a lot of exposed, ch- more exposed chest than Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. It was the eighties, man. It, it, it was the late eighties, yeah. and and say so they were they were they drew packed houses every night of the week, and they were oh, famous yeah. for their big white tigers, mm. and it all came crashing down in two thousand three when. One of the tigers snapped, and Roy was left partially paralysed following a tiger assault. Yeah. And as far as I know, that's kind of the end of them there. They've not really done anything since. I think they're still, they're still going to parties and things, but, you know, that, that's really it. They've, they've gone the way of, of Burton and Tom. And, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> but, uh, what, who's, who's the... Jim, Steve Gray's Jim Carrey character. Yeah, it's a Steve Gray, yeah. Uh, Ansel Elgort <laughs> has a new job. You heard about this one? Yeah, and I like this because his name already sounds like the character's name. <laughs> <laughs> like, he could just be Ansel uh, Elgort. What, what's the project case? Fill us in. Okay, so he is... Is he confirmed, or is he just still in talks? He's in advanced talks, apparently, so which is about is the same as confirmed. confirmed yeah. uh, Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, the big screen Dungeons & Dragons Which we, we've, already, we've already had a Dungeons & Dragons film. <laughs> yes, but we had a Dungeons & Dragons starring Jimmy Olsen and the less talented Wayans brother. Yeah. Which, yeah... The one that they put the trailer for Fellowship of the Ring before, mm. 
and made you very aware of the fact there was a better fantasy film. have Jeremy film. Irons in as well. Yes, Jeremy Irons was the villain. Yeah. Um, I think Jeremy Irons went through that stage where he was like, this script is great. What, which one's this? Oh, um, what's it called? What's, 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 the, what's the dragon film? Aragon. Aragon. Oh, this I is even better. I'll do this. I just think of Jeremy Irons. If you're looking for talent in the script, there is only more cardboard. <laughs> Jeremy Irons cereal. <laughs> you're looking for a prize. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we have Ansel Elgort, the, the romantic lead from uh, Fault in Our Stars, mm. the uh, put-upon brother in the Divergent series. And I say put-upon only because he was made to star in the Divergent series. He is um, so much better than those ones. He is, and he's going to be the lead. He's going to be our photo light lead. And, I think that makes sense. I think yeah, it kind of works. It kind of yeah. works. Uh, oh, uh, I've got I've got to talk Star Trek with you, and and not just because not of the that. single, not the single. No. That song is truly awful. It is truly the worst. Yeah. yeah, I mean, until we get round to actually hearing "Panic at the Disco"'s cover of Bohemian Rhapsody for Suicide Squad, I think it might. Do be you know the what? Brandon Yuri has got some pipes. So if I you're sure, okay. if you're sure, I'm gonna take your word for it. Yeah. But uh, Star Trek, you know, we have we have two Star Trek timelines now. We have you know the original series timeline, which led to you know. Uh, ten movies, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Ten movies led to five TV shows. Ten movies, ignoring the obvious fact that one of those TV shows kind of already takes place in its own unmentioned third parallel universe. Mm. We now have a second parallel universe, which seems to have begun with the events of 2009 Star Trek. So you know, the whole time travel, change the future. He's Chris Pine now, kind of a thing. There's also two Spocks, although not anymore for not obvious anymore. reasons. Yeah. Well, that now has a name. CBS have given it a name purely because next year CBS are launching a Star Trek TV reboot which takes place back in the universe of Deep Space Nine, Voyager, yes, it does. William Shatner's Captain Kirk. Yeah. And so as a result, they need a way to distinguish between the two. So they've come up with a name. What have they called it? The Kelvin Timeline. Okay. Kind of works, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess Kind of does. Works, yeah. Considering, well, the Kelvin is a name. Kelvin's a name that reoccurs throughout J.J. Abrams' body of work, mm. but also it is the name of the ship that whose destruction started the whole parallel universe in 2009 Star Trek. Mm. Because it was, yeah, of course, yeah, it is. It, yeah. it is the it is the the ship that George Kirk died mm. defending and first changing Kelvin, the timeline, yeah. and because it turns out the difference between Chris Pine and William Shatner yeah. is daddy issues. That was the film that kind of made Chris Hemsworth. A star, really, wasn't it? And he's only, kind of. He's he, only he in did it for that, about a minute. He did that and the the vacation horror movie the same year. What was the one what with Mila Jovovich? Perfect Getaway, I want to say. Was he in that? Really? Yeah, he's he's the I don't he's the one you're meant to believe <clears throat> is the killer. Oh right, okay. He's the one that they want they want you to believe is the killer. He's the red herring killer. Do you know what film I really love? What's Cabin that? in the Woods. I love Cabin in the Woods I love as well. Cabin in the Woods. I, we watch it about once a month in my house. It it is just classic. I, just, I love the Richard Jenkins Bradley Whitford. I love that as well. It's so good. <laughs> Don't you just wish there's like an alternate ending where they those oh. two survived? Yeah, not yeah. eaten by a merman. It's it's just the end of the world. It's a pair of is, them just is sat with demons. Yeah, I think yeah. Bradley Whitford dies in the merman, doesn't he? I think so. Yeah, because he's he's always talking about it. Yeah, he wants to see a merman more than anything. Yeah, yeah. And then right at the end, you see this horrific blobfish-looking. Creation <laughs> just coming like eating from the toes up. Have you got any film news by the way? I'm being rude. I've, 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 got, I've got a few pieces. A few bits and bobs. Okay. Chuck him in, man. Chuck him in. Um, so I've got some word about the captain. The captain. The captain. And not Captain Kirk. Go on. Not Captain Picard. Captain but... Jack Hartness. No. No. Captain um, Jack Sparrow. We could be here for some time. Captain Malcolm Reynolds. No. Mm, Captain so, Benjamin Sisko. I will give you. I will give you. Oh, nice! I'll give you a massive clue. He is the captain now. Oh, Mr. Abdi. Mr. Abdi. Barkin Abdi. 
He's so, got to be the Blade Runner sequel. He is, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. That's Although, cool. I'll be honest, Tina Fey has kind of ruined uh, his career for me by uh, suggestively winking at him on stage at the Golden Globe and saying, I am the captain now. But uh, <laughs> <I remember. laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I hope they're back next year to host the Golden Globes. I, I really do as well. I, yeah. I just I think that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler should host everything. If we can get Tina and Amy on the Golden Globes and get Key and Peele on either the Oscars or the Emmys... I, I think we're on that. I, I want the Workaholics gang to do one of them. I think they could potentially do the Emmys or maybe like the Independent. You don't think they could ones. do the Oscars? I think they could no. do the Oscars. I don't think they've got the. <laughs> they've not. They've not got the the clout. They've not the got the clout. No. That's fair enough. But, but you think Kim Peel do? But Kim Peel have been on stage with Barack Obama, so that gives them more more weight. Okay, I, I, I I'll, yeah. I'll argue that one. But fair enough. Um, I've got some. Some more news. Oh, no, I've, go on, go on. I've got a bonus film review. A bonus a film really, review? A really quick one, if you want me to just C- talk Go for about it. What is it? Why not? Uh, there's a Netflix original film that came Ooh, on yes. on Friday. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I watched it. really good. What's it called now? It's, it's called fundamentals. Um, the, fundamentals, uh, the Fundamentals of Caring. Yes, with Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Um, uh, Selena Gomez. That's the one. And uh, Craig Roberts, who uh, was in a film uh, called Submarine. Yes. He, he's from Being Human, or the British Being Human, I believe. He's in that for a little bit. Yeah, he was in like third series, I want to say. I think is he, yeah, because that's one where we go to Wales. He's like a child vampire mm. or something, yeah. Really nice kid. I've actually met him. Have I you? met him. Oh, you... I've met him two or three times when I lived in Cardiff. You used to work in Cardiff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and he would go there, he would frequent Cine Cardiff, he'd be watching a film. We had a conversation about Wes Anderson once, which is, oh, of course which is quite telling, really. You pompous hipster. Yeah. I know. Well, I think Moonrise Kingdom was out at the time. And he was going to see it, and we we started talking about Wes Anderson for about five minutes. But anyway, this film is not like a Wes Anderson film, but it is one of those kind of nice, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Right. It's an indie. It's film. an indie kind of drama film. It, it's got Paul Rudd in it. Here's my my big question: <laughs> yeah. Is it as good as Prince Avalanche? I would say that it is better, and it's a different beast. It's not as fair enough. It's not as mumblecore. Oh. Yeah, it's, yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. It's, it's now. more of a spectacular now. Uh, Perks of being a wallflower. Okay, plot kind of plot for me. What is it? Okay, the plot is uh, Paul Rudd plays a guy called Ben. Uh, ben is a failed writer, and he's basically gone through a messy breakup, messy divorce. Um, his wife is hounding him for a divorce. It's been two years since they broke up, mm-hmm. and there's been a personal tragedy. Uh, you get to find out what the personal tragedy is. But uh, basically, he wants new things in his life. He wants a new career. He just wants to kind of make a bit of a break and forge some new kind of friendships and new sort of like relationships. Oh, yeah? And in doing so, he goes on a course to become a personal carer. He passes the course and starts working for a guy called Trevor. And Trevor is is about nineteen twenty. Oh, is this Craig Roberts? This is the Craig Roberts okay. character, yeah. And uh, he's got a muscular dystrophy, and he's uh, he's uh, bound in a wheelchair. Oh, okay. Can't really look after himself. So is ben, this why the title is the one. Fundamentals of Caring? Because that's quite there clever. We are. That yeah. is quite clever. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And he's a little bit hostile to begin with, but over the course of like a month or two, they become quite firm friends. Wait, is this the bromance version of Me Before You? Do you know what? That's a pretty good, pretty good parallel. <laughs> Is that what I've got with yeah. for? In, in the way that they learn things about each other and themselves in a way that they couldn't have done without each other. Our emotional journey begins. Well, an emotional journey, and then an actual journey oh, they begins. Oh, an actual road trip, Yeah, because um, Trevor is obsessed with seeing... Do you know in America we've got these rubbish kind of like... Like world's biggest cow, yes. World's yeah. biggest, world's pit. biggest Teflon frying pan. Exactly. Yeah, he's obsessed with those kind of like roadside attractions. Okay, and uh, Ben decides that he's going to take Trevor to go see some of them. Trevor's been inside for years and years. He doesn't. He just doesn't trust the outside world because of his condition. And okay. 
for one reason or another, decides to actually go. They go on a road trip. Uh, they meet uh, Selena Gomez, who is playing a character called Dot, and she is going across. She's the not the roadside attraction then. She is not. Oh, okay. Although romance doesn't doesn't see. Oh, okay. Yeah, but um, hopefully poor for poor Rudd, because <clears throat> that would be an interesting uh, dynamic to see unfold on screen. Yeah, but it's not. It's not. Oh, okay. No, that... It's more of a surrogate dad friend kind of kind of thing. But yeah, it's it's nice. It's frothy. It's it's heartwarming. And this is this is a, this is a Netflix one, so anyone who's a Netflix customer can just watch it now. Could just watch it. It went online on Friday. Friday yeah. yeah, there's some pretty good cameos as well. But I, I, I didn't, didn't I didn't expect. And then as soon as they show up, you just think, oh, of course, that person's in this film. I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to have to drop you some Central Intelligence cameos, by the way, when we're when we're off mic. Yeah, Yo, uh, you're going to have to ruin it for me. I, I, I'll give you one or two. I'll give you one or two because okay, they were they were on. ruined for me, and I'd forgotten by the time I went to the film. But I'll, I'll do it after the show. Um, I did have one. Oh, uh, Roland Emmerich. Oh yeah, he's he's, he's, he's got, got a new film. He's got a new film. Yeah, and uh, this this sounds like the most Roland Emmerich project ever. It's called Moonfall. And <laughs> does it deals, the moon fall? It deals with the moon falling. <laughs> of course, it does. The moon slips from its orbit and head, and, and, falls. and falls onto a collision course with Earth, and a bunch of mismatched uh, <clears throat> characters must unite to save the world. <laughs> And it's it's written by Harold Closer, who of course wrote I think it was uh, the day after tomorrow or twenty twelve one of the it's two, one of those. and he's written this as well. And uh, Emmerich's going to produce it with him and direct it. Yeah. And yeah, because apparently it's it's been described as something akin to like God, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or uh, Armageddon by way of twenty twelve, and because that's something yeah, that we need, something that we need, yeah. yeah. And just, do you know what? I'm happy for him to do it as long as it means he is staying the hell away from Stargate. As long <laughs> as it's it's put, it's delaying the inevitable Stargate remake. Yeah, then we're fine. Then we're okay. Uh, I think I, I think we've, we've exhausted my film news. Louis. I've got a couple of little bits, but not really news. It's just kind of interesting happenings that have gone on. Hit so, me up, uh, dog. Hit me up. James Cameron. Yeah. He's a guy. He's a guy. He's he a guy is. with opinions yeah. and what's, friends what's and stuff. What's he done now? Basically, he went on record to denounce J.J. Abrams as Star Wars. What? Yeah, saying that he much preferred uh, George's uh, Star Wars, including the prequels. Right. In fact, specifically the prequels, because of their visual storytelling. Okay, well, first of all... <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said they're more yeah. innovative. Than so, what secondly, if you're are. willing to put your name above the reference of Terminator, Ge- Terminator Genesis mm. and proclaim it to be the best movie since your own... Your opinion probably isn't worth the bog roll it was written on. No. Um, and this no. is this is something else, and this is great. Um, this is a film that's not happening, but I love should. those. I it do should. love those. Should. Go on. Yeah, we should do an entire show. Oh yeah, about that. So, um, you know the film uh, called Swiss Army Man? Yes. Out? Yeah. The, the... That looks really interesting. But... <gasps> I've heard this story. Go yeah. On. Go so on. Uh, the guys who are making that film have made that film. Uh, directing duo called. Daniels. They're just known <laughs> They're as both Daniels. named Daniel, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so they're just known as just Daniels, Daniels, yeah. Like collectively. Uh, they want to remake a White Chicks as an R rated drama. They do. They want to make a serious version, don't they? Yeah. Because they said there's actual, there's, there's deep and meaningful material in yeah. White Chicks mm. that is basically sullied by just going with R rated gross yeah. out humour. And they, they are they guys also that made want, a farting corpse film. They are. Yeah. But they also want, they, they have also said they want the weigh ins to do it. They want oh, really? the Wayansers to star in it. They want to make that film and get the Wayansers to star in oh, it. Oh, that'd be great. Which is mental, because after Fifty Shades of Black, I never want to see any of the Wayans kids on screen ever, ever again. again. 
unless there's a happy endings reunion, in which case, you know what, we can have Damon Jr. He's definitely my favourite. Damon Jr. is definitely my favourite. But, uh, I mean, we have got to look forward to Damon Wayne Sr. in Lethal Weapon, the series, this fall, so... I don't think that looks too bad, but I think we're going to get one season and, and done. Oh, God, yeah. Like, like Rush Hour. Rush Hour Rush could Hour. last ten episodes, and that was actually good. That wasn't too bad, It wasn't, was it? Uh, Daniel Craig has got a new gig. Oh, I heard about so this. So there's going to be even more, oh, he's leaving James Bond news <laughs> to happen any minute now. There so is. So he's going to be starring a film called uh, called Kings, which is about the LA riots happened. Are you uh, aware of the, the director? Um, yeah, oh man. It's the director of, of Mustang. Uh, Mustang. Yeah, this is his we, we English language debut. Yeah. We did the review about a month ago or so. Something like that, yeah. And that was an amazing film. Mm. Um, great director though and this is going to be his English debut English yeah. language debut but the film also stars Halle Berry incidentally yes I've just seen that yeah um, it's going to be that he's a loner living in South Central she's one of the few white men living in South Central yeah. during the Rodney King trial and she's she's a mum she is a proud single mother living next door who he falls for and then he has to unite to help her find her missing kids who are missing of course yeah. in the riots I think that could be uh, that could be pretty pretty interesting it could be couldn't it um Dennis Quaid's getting a divorce. Is he again? Again, yeah. Oh, poor Denny, man. He 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 always seems like can't the, the nicest of the Quaids as well. Did he ask her for her honest opinion on Soul Surfer? Because I'm honest. Maybe. If I'm honest, and if if Dennis Quaid asked me for my own opinion on Soul Surfer, what would we, you say? We wouldn't be friends. I, I, no. We really wouldn't. I'd like to be friends with Dennis Quaid. I feel like we'd go fishing together. <laughs> we'd go fly kites. I just, we'd have a barbecue. I'd want him to be like a bigger brother type character. That, Absolutely, I, I feel yeah. like that's that's kind of what he would need to be. No, I, f- I, f- I think he he would be your dad, not your dad. Just <laughs> not, not my, would, my dad. He would just be a dad. Uh, the, the, Great movie dad. They're, they're trying to uh, dredge up a sort of a, a social media campaign for Bridget Jones's baby. Have you seen this? Um, hashtag hashtag definitely, definitely Darcy, Darcy or hashtag totally Jack. Totally Jack. Yeah. So you've got you, you basically they're asking uh, audiences to express hashtag who, just Jack. Yeah. Who, yeah. Whom, oh. To whom are they most attracted, Colin Firth or Patrick Dempsey? Which is a nice <laughs> way of saying Darcy or McDreamy. Uh, yeah. McDreamy, McSteamy. I can never remember. Oh, from from Grey's Anatomy. You, which one was it? There was it two. McDreamy? There was McDreamy and there was McSteamy. I thought it's McDreamy. Is it McDreamy? Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's a, go on, ladies, go on Twitter and, yeah. and, and and hashtag it and and yeah. That's that's what I've been saying anyway when I've been talking about. Yeah, I always call him McDreamy. That's that's what he'll be to me. Well, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. just I'm, I'm just going to put it out there that uh, shouldn't it be uh, James Gallus or whatever? Is, who's it? Who's Baltar from Battlestar Galactica? Because he's in the Bridget Jones's movies. He's, he's uh, like oh, gay best yeah. friend. Yeah, Gaius Baltar he up from in, in Arrow as well. Recently. He did briefly. He yeah. did. Yeah, he was some like mustache twirling bad guy. <laughs> because that's what you do in Arrow. I would love to be a villain of the week. Wouldn't you? I would love if it. Peter Stormare can do it, then then you can as well. Hey, he was a villain for a couple of weeks, wasn't he? No, no, he only did the one appearance. No, he was in a few. Was he? Yeah, playing, playing the same dude. Or, or I, are you thinking of Vinnie Jones? Are you somehow confusing no, Peter no. Stormare with Vinnie no, no. Jones? No, he's actually in uh, two episodes of Arrow. Oh, okay, smarty pants. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm a big enough man to admit when I'm wrong. <laughs> As, or as I've been told recently, well manned up. But uh, yeah, apparently well, what? Well, ma- I said I was manning up, and I was told I was, I was well manned up. Well manned up. That's what I was told. Um, yeah, apparently they're remaking uh, Jacob's Ladder. This is this is apparently going to be a thing. But uh, I don't know whether that's going to take place in its own timeline now as well. Because <laughs> that's what happens. You oh, remake something, it gets its own timeline. Worst, you know they're making a Tetris movie. 
Uh, well, is it just one? Yeah, that's it. It's going to be a trilogy. Apparently, we need a trilogy of movies based on Tetris because we all know that Warcraft ended up so uh, well. But you know what's going to happen, don't you? There's going to be we're going to do that theme tune. We're going to do the da, 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 but it's going to be Skrillex that does it instead. Oh, oh probably more than yeah. likely. Uh, apparently, Nicholas Winding Refn wants to make a Batgirl movie. Yes, I've seen that. You know what? Couldn't possibly be any worse than Batman v Superman. So fair play to you, Nicky boy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's what, that's what Ryan Gosling calls him. Yes, Ryan Gosling Baby calls Goose. him... Baby Goose calls him out. Exactly. I think I think that's the only explanation for their their particular relationship, I think. Yeah. But Ryan Gosling isn't in Neon Demon, is he? Uh, no. You don't think he's going to be a big name cameo? I, I've not heard anything. I've not heard anything either. Yeah. But I do know that I, I found out today Nicholas Winding Refn uh, was offered the Barbarella remake and mm. turned it down because they wouldn't let him cast Christina Hendricks. And you, you, you look gobsmacked. You do. What? Like, they, that That should be a no-brainer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because brains aren't involved in that equation at all. <laughs> no. There are large orbs involved, but they are not craniums. Anyway, we were trying to think of someone earlier. Uh, Lee Wanell. Lee Wanell, that's his uh... name. Do you know, I was thinking of Darren Lynn Boozman, who's also involved in those movies. Oh yeah, that's it. I was I, and I was confusing all their names, all mm. the parts of their names, and just constructing a completely new identity in my head. Just a brand new person, a brand new person who doesn't that's, exist. That's how that's how babies are born. That that is exactly it. it yeah. It's I get confused it's by things. I get confused by things, and I conjure children into the world using the power of my mind. <laughs> On which thought, here it is: your moment of cage. What is life? They say bread is life, and and I bake bread. Bread, bread, and I sweat and shovel this stinking dough in and out of this hot hole in the wall, and and I should be so happy. Huh, sweetie? You want me to come to the wedding of my brother Johnny? Where's my wedding? Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie. Bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chrissy, bring me the big knife!